Hey, what is going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It's July 22nd, 2023, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC or very, very, very occasionally on threads at Over the Cap, or you can email me, Jason at OverTheCap.com. Uh, trying something a little bit different this week, if this actually works out. I'm trying to record a video along with this. Um, might work. If it doesn't work, then this whole point is pretty much worthless here. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to try to put a video up on this on YouTube. The last couple of weeks, we've put up uh, the videos just with a, a logo on there. Uh, I figured I would just kind of do a couple screens, uh, screenshots along with this. Um just kind of see how that works out, see if people are a little bit more interested in running that kind of stuff in the background. So we'll, we'll see how this uh, this works out, this kind of experimental uh, attempt here. As usual, joined by Nelly the Bunny. Nelly, not on camera today, but uh, hanging out over there with a treat. And I'm sure Nelly will make some noise at some point in time. Uh, our beer of the evening, we've got some dogfish head tonight. So that's what we're going with for the recording of this podcast. Um I'll see how hard it is for me to actually pause this or whatever to, you know, jump up and downstairs to grab another one or two of these. I don't know how much I'll actually nurse through them. We've uh, gone through a couple tonight. Jacob was uh, interested in trying on his football uniform this week. Uh, They got their football uniforms. This is the first year tackle football. We've just done flag before this. So he's very excited. So we went out to eat tonight and he wanted to wear football pads and an Under Armour shirt or something like that. Um, and we, we've been running around outside a little bit where he's just running through the little, I don't know, ladders with his helmet on and shoulder pads and uh, running around the front yard and I'll throw him the football, which usually he's going to drop it. But, uh, you know, that, that's that been the um, the stuff going on. So we'll, we'll see how um, how this, this kind of works out. So um, tonight... Excuse me. I think the main stuff that I really wanted to talk about tonight was really looking at the defensive player contracts uh, for the interior defensive line. I think that's the main thing, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about running backs again. I'll uh, bring those up. I got a couple of spreadsheets up here, and maybe that would be a little bit interesting. I don't know, but the uh, the main one was we got the Quinn Williams contract numbers up, um, so we can pull those here, and you can see it's a 96 million dollar contract, 24 million dollars a year. And, you know, that that's a big number. If you look at where he ranks within the market, um, you know, we'll go to our defense page here, IDL. You can see Williams is in there at $24 million a year, right over Jeffrey Simmons at 23.5, Payne 22.5, Dexter Lawrence 22.5, uh, Buckner, much older deal. Um, he's at 21. Hargrave amazingly got to 21 this year. So that's kind of the uh, the way that the market works out here. Um with these players, but Williams' contract is pretty straightforward. Uh, the Jets have done a pretty good job with this kind of phony baloney guarantee stuff. Uh, they're guaranteeing these per-game roster bonuses, which are like sort of guaranteed. They're guaranteed if you get cut, but they're not actually guaranteed to be earned. You still actually have to be active to um, you know to earn that money. So you know he, he's got his uh, signing bonus guaranteed. Um, you know how much did he get as a signing bonus? I can pull that up. Um, Somewhere else, $24.5 million on the signing bonus. Uh, he's got his base salary guaranteed in 23 and 24. He has a partial guarantee in 2025. Um, 
in 2025, the rest of that kicks in. He also kicks in a $5 million guarantee here. Uh, Jets went with a cap number that was about two and a half, three million million less than what he was originally on the books for, which is kind of what they need to, you know, do whatever they got to do with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you can see the, the numbers spike incredibly high here, 20.4, 21.65, and finally $30.4 million on the tail end of the contract. Um, the way the contract is kind of structured here, one of the things that you'll notice is there's void years, but there's no proration in those void years. So basically what the Jets were doing is the Jets were manufacturing a contract to where they can go in there in 2024 and restructure the deal. They can go in there in 2025 and restructure the deal. And they can still get the full five years of proration uh, in there. So they, they don't actually have to go to him to do any kind of change on the contract. Um, you know, they, they can just do basically whatever they want, um, you know, to get those cap numbers to be more manageable. Uh, when you think about it, if they're going to do that kind of stuff, that kind of opens the door for an extension, I would guess, starting in 2026, certainly by 2027. Um, because with every restructure you do, these cap numbers here are going to grow higher and higher as well. So that's a possibility. Um, the Jets also do have a lot of other options, I think, with this contract. I think structurally, I think this is actually pretty good for the Jets here. Uh, if you look at a trade, um, obviously they're not going to trade him next year. I would say that would be a very big surprise. But the big one would be here, 2025, because if you get into the non-Aaron Rodgers seasons, right? We're, we're assuming Rodgers is going to be here in 2024. Uh, possibility he won't be. But you know, if he's going to not be here in 2025, you may just be kind of starting over. Uh, Williams might still have a decent amount of value there if you go and you trade him. And because those guarantees haven't kicked in yet and, you know, they'd be the responsibility of another team, Right now, if they don't touch his deal next season, it'd be $14.7 million on the cap to trade him. Uh, you know, if you can get something, that's pretty good. Uh, it's $9.8 million to trade in 2026. So I think the Jets left themselves a, a couple of decent options here with the way that they structured this deal. And again, the per-game bonuses are pretty good in there. I kind of thought that Williams would be able to push a little bit higher only because he was just... He was so good this last year, and the Jets haven't had good homegrown players in years. Um, they, they just haven't. There's really been nobody. So I, I kind of thought between that and the fact that the Jets are in complete win-now mode, uh, they would have been able to kind of push these numbers a little bit higher. But that didn't really happen. It's still a, a pretty solid contract, I think, for them. Uh, you know, th this contract going into last season, nobody would have ever thought this contract would have happened. He was very inconsistent, um, would have some good games, and then he'd have some other games where just completely invisible. And, you know, that that is one of the worries um, that I think you have with Williams compared to some of the other guys. I think the other worry that you have with Williams, if you're the Jets, he's not a high snap count guy. Uh, Williams is, last year, I think he was at about 60. Um, some of our snap counts get a little bit messed up. There's a Quincy Williams and Quinton Williams, the way the NFL does it. 
Uh, usually we try to fix that, but it doesn't always happen. Um, like these numbers are a little artificially low. I know his numbers are higher um, than 51%. But last year he was right around that 60% mark, um, 65%, I think, in all the games that he played. I could probably go to uh, Pro Football Reference or something like that to get those numbers. That's actually very low when you're looking at these players who are, um, you know, very high-salaried players. Like, uh, you know, looking at Aaron Donald is probably pointless, but, you know, if you want to look at somebody like an Aaron Donald here, um, you know, Donald's numbers, assuming we track everything right, you know, 78, 76, 73, 90, 83, 84, 89. Last year he was hurt, so you just, you know, you discount that year. You go to Simmons... Simmons, 75, 85, 74. Payne, uh, let's see, Payne stats here. You know, 84, 75, 86. So Williams is nowhere near the same ballpark as that. So one of the things that may have actually worked against him here, I think, um, is the fact that this is more of an investment. If you're the Jets, if you're invested in him at $24 million a season, the real investment in him is probably 27 to 29 million a year because you're going to have to make up those snaps unless something is going to dramatically change. Um, you're going to have to have another player in there that's going to eat up a, a good portion of snaps when he's not on the field. And that type of player is probably going to cost in the ballpark of 2.5 to 4 million a year, something like that. Now, the Jets will probably do that with kind of bounce around veterans, would be my guess. Is you know, you, you get a couple of guys on the downside of their career, um, you know, and you, you kind of try to pick them up for cheap. But I think that that's probably one of the one of the thoughts that I would have at least with um, you know, with taking Williams and why those numbers came out. Now, if you want to look to see how his numbers compare. Um, I'll just pull him up. Now he's gonna he's gonna duplicate in this the way that I do this. Um, unless we don't really need to see the. Yeah, we can do Simmons. We can do Payne. I don't think we really need to do Donald. Um, yeah, who are some of the other guys that were there? Dexter Lawrence would be the other one. You know, and you, you can compare those four guys here, um, you know, see where things are. You know, the new guarantee is, you know, it, do, it doesn't hit Payne's, but Payne's a little different because he was a franchise player. So you didn't have to deal with um, existing salary guarantees. Um, you know, the full guarantees, these are just based on the, the basic numbers. And you can see this is pretty much pegged to Simmons. Simmons, 47.83. Williams, 47.835. Uh, so, you know, that, that number is pegged right there. The 66, I'm sure was just, you know, you're getting a deal done. So you can come up to that number. Uh, in fact, I think that's 1 million more than Aaron Donald. Uh, so let me pull up Donald in there as well. That's probably the reason that the 66 comes in there. I'm sure the Jets try to sell that as, you know, the, this is the, uh, the top guarantee overall. Now there's a big difference with a, a player that's on a contract for three years and a player that's on a contract for four years where that guarantee really encompasses five years, right? We, 
you want to pull out on this total guarantee, you know, the $9.5 million that he was owed. So it, that that's a lot different than the Aaron Donald deal um, in that regard. But when things get reported and you, you discuss these deals, sometimes that context is never, ever, ever discussed. That $66 million number would be. So I think that's probably why that's there. Um, Structure-wise, again, you peg to Simmons, $500,000 more than Simmons on a signing bonus. Um, all these guys got per-game bonuses. His is very high. Um, I, I think probably should have aimed to get that no worse than Simmons deal in that regard. Um, signing bonus, 25.5%, exactly the same as Simmons, basically the same as Lawrence, basically the same as Donald. You know, that that's all... All in that same kind of uh, kind of realm there. Uh, he didn't get a roster bonus. I don't believe he did, at least towards the end of that deal. Per game bonuses at four percent. That's really high. Um, so that that's a I guess you would call it a win for the Jets if you want to call it that. Uh, no workout bonuses. That's just a Jets thing. They they don't do that anymore. So yeah, I, I never really look at those things. Uh, cash flow numbers. Um, you know, running cash flow 16.5. That's pretty good for the guys who got extended. Um, year one, he's at 32. So you can see that's top in the market. So he just creeps past Jeffrey Simmons. Um, Simmons just crept past Aaron Donald. Year two, and this is probably what sealed the deal, um, I would think, for the Jets. Let me just pull up these numbers here. Let me flip them in the order there. So you had Aaron Donald at 60, right? You, you just He's a totally different player. You're not really even going to discuss with him. But you've got uh, 49.8, and, you know, for Simmons, Williams' new money comes in at 48.75, Dexter Lawrence at 48. So he kind of splits the difference between these two. For the Jets, it's, you know, you, you look at it, you say, ah, kind of meaningless, but I have a feeling that was probably a number they wanted to stick to to get the deal done. And then you can see he just matches um, he matches Simmons through three years, both at seventy point five million, and then he gets the pull ahead on that year four, um, you know where he gets the ninety six, which is technically the highest four year total among any of the uh, any of the players. Aaron Donald has void years, um, you know he gets ninety five million over three. These are only showing because there's voids that are in there. So he's got to make it to that fourth year. Teams never expect the players to get to the end of these contracts anyway um, because they know even if the player gets to the end of the contract, they're just going to want an extension. So it's almost meaningless, um, kind of what you put in that last year. So that's really what jumps him over Simmons. So I, I think that is that was kind of the deciding factor for you know what got the deal done here. But I think the more interesting thing is where we're seeing this explosion um, really, that's occurred here. You can see all these deals were basically signed in the last year or so um, at the position, right? So we've got Aaron Donald, again, different ballpark, but you've got 24, 23, 5, 22, 5, 22, 5, 21, 21, 21, and 20. Uh, sorry if I missed anything. I'd taken my contacts out earlier. Um, Edge is, we've got the high end guys. Right, 28, 27, 25. But these deals are all old, 2020, 2021. You know, Crosby 
kind of got hurt. Um, you know, I think in his negotiation at 23-5, he got, he got dinged for draft status, um, really is what it boils down to. He got Mac on this deal from 2018, still near the top of the market at 23-5. Uh, Chubb at 22. Then you drop to Von Miller at 20. And, you know, then you've got a big drop. you got all these guys in the teens, and I was really shocked. So Alex Highsmith, he signs a deal at $17 million a year. I was stunned by that. I really thought that he was going to get higher. I, I thought he was going to be able to pay, uh, peg himself, especially with the way the, the defensive lineman contracts have gone. I figured he was going to be able to put himself in that um, $22, $23, 24000000 range. Um, I thought that was going to be his argument. But very clearly, uh, they, they pushed on him being a complimentary pass rusher to T.J. Watt. And they were able to get a very, very reasonable number. I, I think this is a terrific contract for the Steelers um, with respect to the, the way the market has kind of shaken out. But, you know, you, you start to get into these discussions, I think, about um, what is being looked at as more valuable in today's NFL. And... You know, when you look at the numbers, again, we still have those like high-end numbers here, but we don't have the low, the kind of the low-end ones. So um, I put something up on uh, Twitter the other day. Let me pull it up here. So these are the numbers, if you can see them. Um, so the top 10 were the ones that I, I had pulled up. So I, I just want to focus right now on the interior D-line and the edge, and we can talk about the other ones in a minute. So since 2013, the top 10 players on the interior D-line have jumped up from $9.9 million a year to $22.5 million a year. That's a 126.5% increase, um, you know, much more than doubled. If you look at Edge, Edge has kind of lagged the salary cap. Salary cap is 76.5. Um, Edge has gone from 12.8 to 22.1. So technically, we are trailing um, on that. Now... Part of the reason why we're trailing is because of that Donald contract, which is so high. And we're still waiting on Bosa, right? Nick Bosa is going to get a deal that's probably $32 million a year. Um, I would think he'd, he'd surpass Donald. I don't know that for a fact. And that'll obviously increase the numbers. But it's still not going to be the same kind of growth. And my first thought when I looked at this was, okay, you know, I think one of the reasons here is that teams do focus a lot more on having two players kind of on the edge, whereas you kind of get more invested in one pass rusher that can rush from the interior. So I, I kind of thought that the edge players were, were getting a little bit more um, of a bump overall um, and that maybe the defensive line, the interior was just a, a little bit top heavy. So the next thing I did was I looked at the top 32 players and again, now, it's very similar. We've gone from 6.8 to 16.3, uh, 140.7% increase. And at edge, we've gone from 8.9. So, you know, still, they, they were way above them in 2023 to lagging significantly at 14.7, growth rate of just 64.3%. All right. What if we look overall at the market? Overall numbers. Interior D-line, it's grown 128.5. We've gone from an average contract of 2 million to an average contract of 4.5 million. Now, 
One of the things I'll say is we don't have, we obviously don't have the final rosters for 2023. So when I did this data here, what I did was I, I took the amount of players at each position in 2013 um, at the end of the season. I think it averaged out to about 63 players per team. Yeah, you got all the players on IR and everything else. It didn't include practice squad. So I took the top 63, um, sorry, not the top 63, but what would work out to, you know, basically 2,100 contracts, top 2,100 contracts, um, ranking them in each position. That obviously won't, you know, come come through. There, there's going to be some players, excuse me, who get cut um, that are near the top. I'm sorry, not near the top, but uh, maybe are making $2 million a year and they're going to be replaced by somebody making $1 million um, a year. So these numbers could fall a little bit, but still it, it paints the similar picture here where our edge players, and I don't know why I labeled that edge. I'm not sure what that one is supposed to be. Uh, I know the actual edge growth was um, was this one here. I, I got to see what that one was here. <laughs> I just, uh, I that's a typo. Uh, we went from 2.7 to 4.5, um, you know, 63.4%. So very clearly we're, we're seeing a... a a big shift, I think, in the in the way that the NFL is approaching these games. And my thought on it is that probably what we're looking at here is a situation where I, I think the NFL has kind of determined that while you can have a, a great edge player, there's a lot of good pass rushers in the league. You know, maybe there's only a handful of guys that were like a Khalil Mack in his prime. Um, you know, someone like a Joey Bosa or whatever. You know, that there, there's not too many of those guys. And I, I think what's happened is teams look at it and they say, you know, you can't really wreck a game anymore with just that one pass rusher approach. You know, you, you kind of need a couple of guys. You need to spread the wealth a little bit. And I think if you do need to spread the wealth, um, that makes the individual talent less important. So if the individual talent is less important, well, that's going to drive salaries down. The other thing is that I think the league believes that a lot of the um, defensive schemes that they can use, that they can kind of scheme pressures sometimes. Um you know, with, with what they do. And if you scheme a pressure, again, that sometimes takes away from the value of the individual talent um, if you're scheming it versus just believing that you, you you just need to rely on the guy to, you know, pin his ears back and get to the quarterback on his own God-given talent. Um, so I, I think that, that kind of plays a role um, a little bit in this as well. Um, I think one of the other things, just from a salary cap standpoint, I think the guys who have worked the contracts for the teams have done a great job of being able to use these comparable player models at this position. And they've used them as blocks on the market for many, many, many years. And I, I think that that hasn't really happened with some of these other spots. And what I mean by that is, if you go back in time, 
um, you know, to, to where those contracts were. I, that probably could pull up the, the old numbers that are there. But if you go back to kind of the, the evolution of the edge rusher in terms of salary, um, you know, one of the first dings that you had on that position really was Justin Houston, who was a dominant, dominant pass rusher, but didn't get a lot of publicity behind him, um, didn't get, you know, didn't have that notoriety, and he didn't have that ridiculously high draft status. And he took a deal that I think was 16-5 a year um, from Kansas City, which was probably the best deal at the time in the market. But by no means was it like a, a real top market deal. Uh, I believe he signed that before Von Miller. Uh, Von Miller got up to 19.8. But, you know, Von Miller, number two overall pick, put up numbers that were going to be very hard for any other player to duplicate. So it just becomes a complete block on the market when you do have these players who are exceptionally good and they have this exceptionally high draft status. So it kind of becomes a block rather than a, you know, who's up next. Uh, same thing occurred with Khalil Mack, right? Khalil Mack was number five overall. You know, very high pick, um, regardless of what it is. Dominant player. So if you're a player who's drafted number 20 even, and you put up numbers similar to him, it's going to be one of those... Well, yeah, but you're not Khalil Mack, so we can't give you more than him. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if when you see Max Crosby's numbers come up, if you go back to this, you know, he, he ties Mack's numbers, right? Crosby 23-5, Mack 23-5. Obviously, the different lengths on the contracts, but, you know, one is signed in 22, one is signed in 18. I wouldn't be surprised if this comes up like, hey, we wouldn't give Mack 23-5, we'll give you 23-5. Um you know, I, I think that's just one of the ways the market kind of has, uh, worked out. Um, you know, you, you go back to looking at Bosa and Watt, you know, 28 and 27. You know, they're, they're again, hard to have comparable players that are going to be better than these guys. So, you know, I, I think that that has, um, you know, that that's really kind of worked against the edge rushers uh, because of that. The interior players are a little bit different. Like, with the exception of Aaron Donald, who was a very clear block on the market um, for a couple of years there, you can compare yourself to Leonard Williams. Um, even though Leonard Williams is a very highly drafted player, um, you can compare yourself to Leonard Williams. And Leonard Williams is $21 million a year. You can compare yourself to Leonard Williams. That's how Hargrave can make a case for himself at twenty one. Um, you know, Dexter Lawrence, Deron Payne, Jeffrey Simmons, Quinn and Williams, they're all kind of interchangeable. Um, they're all good. You know, that interchangeable, <laughs> that, that's not a negative thing. I know some people might take that as negative, like you're not giving them credit. Um, it's just that they have numbers that are kind of comparable. Your draft statuses are more or less comparable that are in there. And, you know, that allows them to kind of play this leapfrog game versus just having a block on the market unless Donald was in the picture because Donald is like a otherworldly kind of talent. Um, so I think that all plays a role in, you know, what we do 
um, you know, when we look at these positions. I think one of the reasons that the teams also value the interior right now at such a high level, it's a unique skill. Uh, I think it's harder to scheme pressures coming from the middle. Um, and I think the pressures that come from the middle are probably more valuable than a lot of the pressures that come from the outside. The reason that I say that is, again, lots and lots and lots of teams have a good pass rush. They have adequate pass rushers, they have decent schemes, and they're able to create pressures that come from the outside. The quarterbacks, who always are going to struggle somewhat under pressure, are at least more used to dealing with pressure all the time coming from the outside. Um, you know, they know where it's coming from. They know what way to kind of step up or how to step up. They know how to try to get away from it. And you're kind of a little bit more prepared, even if your end results are going to be lousy. Um, you know, overall, I think you're a little bit better prepared to deal with that type of pass rush than necessarily dealing with the pass rush where they come right up the middle. Like a lot of times, you know, you watch a guy come right up the middle you know, what happens next for the quarterback? Well, they certainly can't step forward. Um, you know, it's harder for them to scramble at that point. Oftentimes, you know, the back gets completely turned to a play, um, you know, or they're running right into the path of a, um, you know, the edge rusher if they're trying to sidestep. Um, but a lot of times, you know, I, I think it just kind of leads to chaos. And the teams aren't built as well to deal with that. You know, again... You practice every week, you play every week, you're probably playing against a decent pass rusher. Um, so you, you've got, um, your tackles have, I guess, a lot of practice, um, different techniques that they can use for working against some of these different guys. Your guards, who are primarily going to defend these um, interior guys, you're not facing that every week. You know, the, the, the bulk of the market, which has also gotten paid a lot, um, you know, down here, these are kind of run-stuffer guys. Right? They, they give you a little bit of a pass rush, but they're mainly there to, you know, stop the run, play the run, whatever. And you've only got a handful of guys that you would look at and say, okay, you're generating a legitimate pass rush from a couple of these players. You know, Donald, um, again, just discount Donald. But, you know, Williams, Simmons, Payne, and Payne is on the same team as Allen. Lawrence on the same team as Williams. And, you know, Williams isn't going to generate that kind of pass rush. But, um, you know, so you're basically looking at one, two, three, four, five, six. I wouldn't put Hargrave as a pass rusher. Seven. I wouldn't call these other guys that either. You know, it's basically seven guys right now. Whether it's going to be consistent or not, I don't know. But it's like seven teams where you're going to deal with that. So you're not as prepared for it, um, you know, when you're one of these other teams um, that doesn't have that. So that gives you a big advantage if you're the Jets because if Quinn and Williams can be consistent again, it gives you 17 games where you have the ability to do something unique. And, you know, the guards that you're playing against, the, the defenders you're playing against, 
um, they're not as used to doing it because there's only, there's so few teams that have that type of pass rush. You know, they, they their backs maybe aren't as accustomed to having to chip to deal with pressure there. You're not as accustomed to where you're going to put a tight end or how you're going to help out, you know, how you're going to use your center maybe to, to get something done differently. It's just a totally different, in my opinion at least, totally different set. Um, you know, when you go to the edge rushers, you know, you look at this, so you got the Steelers, you got the Chargers, you got the Browns, you got the Raiders, Chargers with two guys at this point, Dolphins, um, the Bills, you know, and these guys are all good pass rushers. So Landry's a good pass rusher, right? Cam Jordan's a terrific pass rusher. Shaq Barrett's a good pass rusher. Highsmith, now that same team, good pass rusher. Chandler Jones used to be a great pass rusher. So, you know, you, you go down this list, you're still seeing a lot of names where even if the salaries aren't that high, you know, they're terrific pass rushers. You know, Gregory can be. Hunter is when he's healthy. Reddick is. Uh, Hendrickson has been um, terrific on the, battle, uh, the Bengals. So, you know, Franklin Myers is more of more run guy kind of stuff. You know, Judon's been terrific on the Patriots. Demarcus Lawrence is a really good player. You know, Preston Smith, Zedaria Smith, these guys are good pros. They can get after the quarterback. So lots and lots and lots of players there, very different than what you're facing here, where it's probably a limited group of guys who are going to um, be able to do that. So, you know, the, the next thing that I, I think you get to with that is kind of these other positions. And, you know, kind of seeing what's up for a change, you know, the, where the focus has been on the running back position here, um, you know, in this last week, you know, you, you do have some other spots that you can look at. And I know we don't really care much about kickers and punters and long snappers, but, you know, I think to me, this one, if you just took a real look at it and you see where some of these other numbers have gone, I, I think this would really stand out to me. You know, th this one right here really stands out because if my left tackles have jumped up, they've nearly doubled at the top of the market. You know, my edge players should be somewhat around there. You know, because it, it's very important, um, you know, it, the, the I shouldn't say very important, but the two things should kind of be pegged together. So either we're saying that there was too much of a gap, you know, 10 years ago, um, between the two, and this is just naturally making it closer, or the edge rusher is just completely lagged. You know, here we go. It's uh, 82.5, edge 64.3. You know, and overall our left tackles are 87.2, edge 72.5. That's at least a, that, that's a little bit closer there. Um, you know, some of these things, too, when you see the, the lack of growth, it means there's probably a lot more of a youth movement at those positions. Um, and I got the wrong edge up there. It's 63-4. Sorry about that. I should just pull that one. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so, yeah, that that's just the, the way that that's worked. Now, when you look at these other positions, and this stuff is, I think, pretty interesting as well. Um, you know, the, the one that I, I thought was 
you know, really stood out kind of there was, um, sorry, we had to run and get another beer. So if there's a little bit of a, little bit of a split there, um, that's what that one is from. Um, but I thought right tackle, you know, was a pretty interesting one here. You know, overall, we're talking about a 163% increase, top 32, 180, top 10, you know, salaries have just gone crazy, um, you know, over time. And this was one of those that was logical to happen. You know, I, I always thought that, um, I really thought the first one that was going to jump up there uh, was going to be Mitchell Schwartz. Um, this was when he left Cleveland. I'm not talking about the, the later short extension that he did. I, I remember, um, that was one of the first times when I was really doing like the, a lot of the free agent projections and I was really off on that deal. Very similar to how I was really off on the Highsmith one, um, that just kind of came in. So that, that's why that one always stood out to me. It was just a market that never seemed to develop and it was just that whole like right tackle doesn't exist. Um, now, right tackle's very heavy, uh, top-heavy, but overall, it's still significantly more spending at the position than where we were before. And, you know, we're really come close to closing the gap. Overall, there's about a million-dollar-a-year difference between the two players. If we're looking at the top 32 players, you know, it's uh, $3 million or so difference. And at the top 10, um, you know, we're at 17 million or so, and we're at about two, five, three million, you know, difference between um, the two. And this this was one of those things that just seemed logical to happen. Um, I remember writing about this stuff back in, oh boy, um, 2013, 2014, real early days of OTC, um, when it was coming up with valuations on a pressure. Um, might, that might have even been before that. That might have even been Jets cap when I started doing that. Um, basically, it was looking at the, the value of a pressure and determining the, the impact of your right tackles and left tackles. And it was very clear that a lot of the pressures were being generated against the right tackles back then. Um, maybe even more so than the left tackle. And it had to do with two things. One was the fact that, you know, teams were employing more than one pass rusher, that they, they were, you know, getting into that concept of let's get a couple of guys that can rush the passer versus just one. But the other thing was that they were going out there and they were having no issues moving players around. Um, you know, you, you take your star pass rusher and you line them up over the right tackle. And they were generating a, a very high amount of pressures going against those players. Because the right tackle was still, back in 2013, probably through, I don't know, 2016, 2017, maybe even later than that. Um, those right tackles were still being viewed in kind of that old school way of just like, okay, this is the unathletic guy that couldn't play left tackle. So we're going to stick him at right tackle. That'd be number one. And then the second thing was we need a guy who's a road grader, you know, the guy who's going to, you know, help spring that running game and we're going to run behind him and, um, you know, do all that. And it's like that was an archaic way of playing football. Um, you know, did that work 15 years ago? Yeah, I guess it worked 15 years ago. It doesn't work in today's NFL. And teams were exploiting the fact that you weren't really investing in that position 
you weren't really giving a lot of weight to that position. So, you know, you, you would end up getting substandard players there or, you know, you'd put bad draft picks there just to try to get something out of them and they'd be getting dominated. So now you, you see the teams are doing more, you know, to keep those players, entice them to stay with their teams. Um, you know, if we go here and we look, let's see, it's been pretty recent, um, you know, some of the numbers here. You know, Jawan Taylor at 20 million, Ryan Ramchak 19.2, Brian O'Neill 18.5, McGlinchey 17.5, Braden Smith uh, 17.5, so and so on. You know, so you're seeing, you know, again, it's a top-heavy position, but you're seeing more investment here. You know, before it was basically Lane Johnson and then a giant gap to number two. And then you'd have number two, number three, and there might be a giant gap to, like, number four or number five. So you see more investment, and you don't see, you know, players like this, you know, young draft picks or um, lower-level street guys, you know, ranking in the, the top 25 or something like that, which is the way that it used to be. So I think that's been an, a really interesting one as well. Um, interior D-line we talked about. Um, you know, guard, that makes sense. You know, when I, I said that left tackle and edge should be pegged together, guard and your interior um, D-line should be pegged together somewhat too. So I think that's also pretty clear as to one of the reasons why teams are investing more in their guards it's because you're getting more and more of a pass rush that comes from the inside. So you have to do something to, you know, try to combat that as best you can, even though it maybe doesn't apply to all the teams. Um, you know, they're doing that. Uh, wide receivers up 110. Safety's up 109. Eh, that one's a little surprising to me. But I, I think you get a lot of safeties who stay in the league that are veterans. Um so you get some contracts that hold up, and there hasn't been as much of a fight on that position as some of the other ones. So I think that's a thing. Um, tight end has gone up somewhat. Corner. I think a lot of people would probably look at corner and say, hey, that's kind of low. But I think that's because there is a concern about extending players at that position. Um, we see a lot of corners get into free agency. Like, corner is a unique position. Um Everybody agrees, I think, that corner is a premier position in the NFL. Everybody agrees that corner is a very important position um, in the NFL. I think there's a lot of disagreement as to how long those players can be effective. Um, I think that there are many players, you know, I'll, I'll use the Jets as an example here. Jets, obviously, the draft Sauce Gardner, very high. He's awesome. Right. He, he's absolutely wonderful. Um, you know, as a rookie, going to be wonderful for many years, hopefully, to come. I have a feeling there are teams in the league that after five years uh, or maybe five years and a franchise tag would say, you know what, it, it's time to move on. Just simply because it's not a position that ages gracefully. It's a position that gets a lot of... Um, that gets a lot of respect. Like, they, there have been players in the past, uh, Revis fell into this category, uh, Nandi Asimov fell into this category, where you get a one-season pass, meaning even though your skills have probably diminished and you can see it on tape, 
teams still shy away from you because of who you used to be. They they don't pick up on it until they they really start you know going at the tape for a full year or a full off season. Then they come back the next year, they attack you, and you're very quickly out of the league. Um, so I think there's some concern with that around the league. And if you look, corner is one of those weird positions where it's a very high-salaried position, but it's also a, a position that is somewhat readily available in free agency. Um, you know, the, the other issue with corner, and this is something we've discussed on here a lot, is when you look at corners and you look at the performance of a secondary and you look at the performance of receivers, teams are going out there with multiple receiver sets. And you don't have to be hardcore into evaluating tape or anything like that. All you got to do is play fantasy football, um, specifically DFS. And how often do you see the the games broken each week if you you're playing like uh, the big play, uh, the big money pools um how often is the the real deciding thing that a random wide receiver goes off for 120 yards and two scores happens all the time you know for for the Justin Jefferson will cost you $9,000 and you know you're going to get your sure points out of that He's probably going to be outscored in a given week by just some random guy on a team who just got a good matchup for that week. You'll never hear from that player again. Um, you know, but they'll explode for a given week. And that's what happens, I think, a lot of times. If, you know, the, the quarterbacks who are very good and can utilize the multiple targets in an offense without too much trouble... Um, they go into these games and it's like, well, you know, if he's being covered by a guy who's really good, we we can go to a different player. And we can utilize that player to kind of, you know, take advantage of everyone else. So corner is almost one of those positions where you've either got to invest in a lot of players or maybe you're just better off investing in no players and just hoping one of those guys kind of picks up. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, it's basically grown at the same level as the cap. It really hasn't done um, too much else. Uh, you got linebacker here. I'm actually surprised it was even that high. Um, I think that's just really from a, a couple of contracts that have come in, um, you know, in the, in the last couple of years here. I think that, that kind of... Um, is what caused that, you know, they're, overall they're only up 59. So, you know, you can see they, they lag the cap here by a pretty good amount. Um, they lag it a pretty good amount here when we get to 32. It's only at the top 10 where they're kind of keeping pace with the cap. So that's just because of those couple top-heavy deals. Um, overall, the more and more teams are looking at this as kind of an interchangeable position. Um, center is the same way. Center's been that way for a long time. Um, but that's certainly that way. And then you got the running backs. And I'll talk about the running backs here again for a little bit before we get into the uh, Q&A kind of stuff. So, you know, our running backs, when we get to them, um, you know, our top 10, we've only seen growth of 24%, um, you know, in the salaries there. Top 32, worst in the league at 16.5. So even though punters at the top haven't grown, 
um, at the lower end they've grown probably just because guys stick around for longer um, you know and minimum salaries go up uh, overall second worst at the position um, of all positions I'm sorry 35.4 so just awful awful growth overall but you know it's a position that simply you know doesn't have veterans it doesn't have veterans that you know make any money um you know in the league and i know today tonight as i'm recording this um maybe it already happened there was supposed to be a meeting a zoom meeting of running backs where they were discussing their plight um you know this is this is an issue that's existed though for you know, 10 years, 15 years. I mean, this really, you, you date this back to Sean Alexander, which was 2005, I think. Um, really, that's what you go back to. It's, you go back to that and you started to see the teams go into the running backs by committee. Um, you know, maybe, maybe some of that was the, the lack of the impact of the draft picks that were coming out. Um <clears throat> Yeah, it's not to pin everything on Sean Alexander, right? You you had other players whose um, contracts didn't work out that well. You know, Curtis Martin got a big deal, even though he was really old. Um, obviously, that didn't work out for the Jets. Um, Larry Johnson, Priest Holmes, it was like the minute the ink was dry, it was like injury, injury, injury. Um, you know, and then you, you had that bounce back. Um, after Adrian Peterson, you know, Adrian Peterson got, he was the one guy that had the big deal. You had that bounce back with that girly Ezekiel Elliott, Christian McCaffrey grouping, uh, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell were all kind of in there. They all disappointed. I mean, it, it, there's no, no way to, 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 you know, say anything different about it. Um, Kevin Cole had a good thing up. I, I think looking at the kind of the history of the position, um, you can check him out on Twitter, uh, just to, to mention that there. He's got his sub stack with subscribers. He does a newsletter right now every week. I think it's really good. Um, so, you know, this was one of the things that, that uh, he mentioned on there. And his podcasts are always very good, too. Um, but this is one of the things that he mentioned on there. And, you know, it, it's like you're looking at these deals and you're just seeing the poor performance of those players. And obviously that's going to impact the next generation of guys. You know, now Christian McCaffrey was very good, but Christian McCaffrey was always hurt. He wasn't good for the Panthers. He was good before he signed his deal. Um, wasn't good after that. You know, when you get into, um, like, Alvin Kamara, like, this isn't a real deal. Like, this is really a $12 million a year contract. And, you know, that new market was created when Derrick Henry signed the deal for twelve five, Because Derrick Henry was a, a terrific player, he had as much good press as you could imagine uh, with that playoff run the Titans had that year. I think he had like 1,500 yards, 16 touchdowns or something like that. And he ends up signing the deal for 12 on the Eves franchise, not 16. You know, it completely changes the dynamics of stuff. So Barkley, I'm sure, got pegged to him. You know, Barkley said he didn't like um, the players that he was being comped with. Um, felt that they were more downhill runner types and just based on the, the, the numbers that have kind of been leaked out about the offers, I would imagine it was Derrick Henry was really the, the main guy that he was being comped to as, you know, a, a big play runner, um, you know, and that, that, that was the deal there. And I, 
I don't know. Uh, Pat Leonard had a, a good article. I have no idea how in the world that deal didn't get done. Um, when you when you have the owner discussing the contract with the player and the player says, let's get it done, how do you not get that done? You know, I, I don't get that at all. So either the Giants general manager really fibbed about an offer or, you know, uh, Barkley's agent really screwed things up. I don't know which that is, but, you know, one of those things happened. Um, you know, but the, the production, so let me pull these up. I put these online too. So this is your production here of running backs. So this is your rushing yards and receiving yards. So every player who had at least one 1,000 yard year that was drafted since 2011, uh, one 1,000 yard season in their first four years, uh, you know, how, how did their careers on average, you know, work out? And you can see here the average was 875 in year one, year two, over 1,000 combined yards, uh, 980, 915. We get to year five, and it's like, whoop, 667, 616, 404, <laughs> you know, non-existent. You know, you're out of the league. There's, there's just no, no players left. Um you know, you looked at, this was a comparison with wide receivers. I don't know if I have the wide receiver numbers here. I don't think so. Um, you know, comparison with wide receivers, uh, because some, some people brought that up here. And, you know, the, the blue line in this case is the wide receivers. I don't, I don't have the legend there. Um, you know, you can see running back much more effective in that first year. You know, 50% of the guys that had at least one 1,000-yard total you know, total yardage season in those first four years, it happened as a rookie. You know, wide receivers, it was just 24% of the guys who actually do that. Um, you know, wide receivers, you, you kind of see a, a peak in talent in that second year. They explode up, but the runners are still doing good. Um, you know, 58% of the runners all had a 1,000-yard season in that second year. Third year, you know, kind of even. Fourth year, the running back is actually outproducing the wide receiver um, in terms of the percentages to get it. But then you get that shift, right? Wide receiver outpaces um, the running back. Wide receiver outpaces the running back. Wide receiver really outpaces the running back. Now, th this is just your high-end stuff, right? This is our reward kind of factor. And when you looked at the, when I looked at the numbers here for wide receivers, and I just don't have it on the screen, um, it's a much more graceful decline. You don't get this right here, the, this big drop year four, year five. It's just kind of a, a consistent, steady decline where you're just going down, down, down. So you can still find jobs for these players, whereas here you know, you're just not not even finding, you know, work for the guys. Um, you know, and th th this was the other stuff that um, I wanted to look at was just rushing rushing yards. So take the passing out of it. Um, you know, we've got our average is about 820 total yards, 957, 878, 854, boom. You know, we drop off to 650. And we drop even more to 580. Dropped 470. Finally, 
teams are saying, whoa, what are we doing here? Cut everybody. And you're, you know, the remaining players, there's hardly anybody remaining. So again, you, you look at how many, um, you know, are producing, you know, those thousand yard rushing seasons. And this is again, pegged to the wide receivers. And we've got that same kind of stuff here. Um, but then you see the, the gaps get bigger and bigger and bigger, um, you know, each year with the amount of players they can still produce. And then somebody asked me about, well, what if the rushers had two 1,000-yard seasons in their first four years? Much smaller player pool, but, you know, very steady production these first four years. 945, 1,014, 969, 963, major drop. 771, 684, 518, out of the league. You know, that's basically what it is. And then, you know, a couple people on um, Twitter, uh, and I got a lot of good feedback last week on the, the rushing stuff. A lot, of, a lot of people disagreed with some of the stuff I said, um, which is fine. That's good. You know, um, you know, they thought that it would kind of ruin teams if you had a free agency earlier. Um, you know, that it kills fan interest and that you need need the players to stick around. There's, you know, that's all fine. Um, you know, but I, I know there were a couple people when I, I posted these graphs were like, well, it's not fair. You know, you're, you're showing um, an average of a player pool, but you're not saying, well, what if the player got the opportunity? You know, or what about the players who got the opportunity? So these other charts, you know, captured that. You know, how, what are the percentage of players? What are your odds of actually getting a thousand yard season out of those guys? But, you know, we're, where we're looking at these and you're saying, well, I bet they could have done it if they got the opportunity. Well, why didn't they get the opportunity? You know, it's like this ridiculous thing that there's collusion against running backs. I mean, that's just silly, right? Um, there's no collusion against running backs. That wouldn't even make sense. The reason they're not getting opportunities is because they're not effective. And that's why. It's not because they're, you know, really good and you just don't want to pay them. Because if that was the case, you wouldn't have the wide receivers still being productive. So that that's kind of the issue I, I think that you get here um, with these runners is they're hurt. They're not as productive when they play. And then no team in the league sees anything on film that, you know, gives them a reason to actually want to, you know, keep the player. So, you know, I, that's the risk that you take if you sign these guys, that there's really very limited upside and it's mainly all downside, um, you know, that that's going to happen there. Now, there are a lot of people that were putting suggestions out as to how do you fix the problem and what do you do? And, you know, it, it's it's one of those that's hard. Is it a problem? It is. It's a problem simply because it's the only position I can think of in the league where you don't get a chance. Every other position you have a chance. You don't have a chance at running back. Um, teams... I can't say it's not negotiating in good faith, but you just you just don't have an opportunity. Um, but it's because of the reality of the situation. It's because of this that you don't have an opportunity. 
it, it's not because there's some bias against running backs or anything like that. It's the productivity level declines so steeply. And the same reason that people still go crazy. I saw that today. You know, they, someone put out an article. Ten teams are the running back is the engine of the team. That's called ten non-playoff teams. Um, you know, but the reason that you, you get caught into this trap of saying they're the engine of the team is because of this right here. 1,000, 1,000, 1,000, 1,000. Right? That, that's the engine of the team. And that's what makes us value the running back sometimes so highly. It's almost like being a fantasy star. Right? We see a guy carry the ball all the time, puts up a lot of yards. Every now and then he gets a big play. Um, you know, picks up some important first downs. Everybody goes crazy for it. But then when this happens, because this is the guy that carries the ball all the time, and now you're not getting that stuff, well, now you get the booze from the fans. Here you get more booze. And at some point, your owner is saying, why do we have this guy on the team if he can't play? So... It's almost like the blessing that you get here as a running back where you get focused on and you're getting your contribution overvalued, um, you know, works against you here because your expectations are so high that it becomes very obvious that the, you know, the player is not good anymore. So, you know, that, that changes... Um, you know, a lot of things for those players, I think at least, um, because of that. But, you know, again, we, we look at these other charts here we mentioned. You know, no, nobody's complaining of the plight of the punter or the plight of the long snapper or even the plight of the linebacker or the center. Um, you know, nobody's complaining about that. We're only focusing on this because it's the position that touches the football. And, again... My, my only thing with it is that there's just, there's no, there's no option for them. You know, that, that's the one thing that separates it from these other positions um, down here. You know, the mystery position. Um, you know, the, the thing that separates it from those positions there uh, is simply the fact that, you know, these guys at least have a chance. This doesn't. You know, you, you've got such an uphill climb to convince somebody to give you money. And even when they give you money, they kind of know they're probably signing their own pink slip. Um, you know, based on the way those deals work out. You know, that that's the one thing that's unfair for the running backs. But, you know, to focus just on that position, that's not fair to anybody else. Like, um, you know, uh, was it Dominic Foxworth put out something about a, a player pool, which is fine. You know, you, you could do it. I, I don't understand why you would do it just for running backs. You know, if you had a third um, performance pool, um, you know, but you could. But, you know, he was bringing up the concept of like, you know, so you've got these these numbers and if the guys get them, they get raises and, you know, that that covers, um, 
more, you know, for them. And it's like, okay, that's fine. But if our problem is here, years five, years six, years seven, because these are our extension years, right? Well, who's going to pass these thresholds, you know, that exist? You know, you're five, you're six, you're seven. It's a very small amount of players that are going to pass any kind of imaginary threshold that you put up. So it would have to be something that applies to years one, two, three, and four. But how is that fair? You know, rookie contracts are slotted. So that really doesn't, you know, indicate any type of fairness compared to, say, a center or a linebacker or anyone else, um, you know, who's on a slotted contract years one, two, three, four. So many of these rookies are outperforming those deals, and all they're getting is that bump in the performance base pay based on their playing time. I, I don't think it makes sense to, to just single out the running back and say, okay, the running back pool is going to apply to those first four years. You need a systemic change in the NFL. And it, again, it, it's not going to change their position relative to the rest of the league. Like this, this, this is baked in the fact that the position itself just isn't as important. Don't don't give me this through the engine of a team nonsense. Um, you know, there, there's a reason every team in the league is, uh, you know, going over themselves, to, you know, falling over themselves trying to draft a quarterback. You know, it's not that. Um, it's just that they need to be free agents at a younger age. You know, if you have teams that are willing to draft a, a player in the first round that's a running back, you know, odds are that means they're willing to pay him at that point in time. But, you know, the, the way the salary structures work, they don't need to. But you, you can't come up, I, I don't think at least, with these systems that only reward one position and don't factor in for anybody else. Now... You know, again, they don't get that complete chance. But, you know, you, you have plenty of players who are really good, and they might only be good as a rookie. You know, um, I don't know how many of you remember years ago, there was a player on the Giants, Akeem Nix. Um, Nix had a career where, you know, he probably had um, two one. Did he have two 1,000-yard seasons? He was, a, he was a good player. He might not have had that. Um, let me look him up real quick. Let's take a look. Let me look him up in pro football reference. So Akeem, yeah, no, he had two 1,000-yard seasons. Um, so if you look at Akeem Nix's career trajectory... 1,000 yards, 1,200 yards, unfortunately, then just kind of fell off. You know, he got hurt a bit, and that was it. 692, 896, 405, 54. Never cashed in. Um, never really had a big payday, I don't think. Um, you know, it's not like today where, you know, you, you had some guys, maybe they got hurt and still got a big deal. Contract history here. 
um, UFA deal, even though you had two 1,000-yard seasons, $4 million a year. Um, signs for 1-4 with the Titans. Goes back to the Giants on a 745. Saints, last deal at 885. You know, if that's the case, well, why don't you reward a, reward a player like that? You know, he obviously missed out because he got hurt and whatever else happened. You know, and that that that's the thing. He he, a player like that is screwed over because of the rookie system, and the way you kind of fall apart. And he fell apart before he was able to cash in. Not a lot different than the running backs. So I I, I don't believe in that that kind of like let's make a a special player pool. Um, you know, for that individual position. You know, what you really need to do. Um, you know, if you if you're the running backs that are having this meeting, if there's anybody that happens to listen to this, probably not. But uh, if there is, um, first thing you have to do is just throw this thing out, this this deal out. All right, just first of all, just just agree with that. This is going to be your new top of the market. These these players here, throughout that 15 million a year, it's 12 ish. Um, you know, let, let's just throw that throw that out there. These are our guys we're looking at. Okay, the, these couple of players. Well, what do you do? So the first thing that you can do is you can either work on getting more guarantees, um, you know, in your contract. You could take less money but get more guarantees. You know, be willing to say, okay, let's take the opposite of the Kamara route. Instead of saying, I need a, a bogus year five salary to get my APY so high. What if you said, well, instead of signing for $13 million and um, let me just see here. So what do we got here? So Derrick Henry's uh, 12-5 and 25-5 fully guaranteed. So he, he basically got two franchise tags fully guaranteed. Um you know, that, that's his first two years' salary. What if you were willing to do a, a deal that was $10 million a year, but you had $35 million guaranteed at signing? You know, something like that. $34, $33 million guaranteed at signing. You know, to where you knew you were going to get three years' worth of salary out of that deal. You know, that that's one of the options that you can do. You could be willing to play for less but protect yourself from more. And when you look at the earnings of some of these guys, when you look at how long they lasted on their contracts, a strategy like that might actually make you earn more money, um, you know, based on that. The other thing, you got to talk with your agents and say, okay, if this is the reality of the market, $12 million a year, um, as a group, as a group of players, what we need to do is we need to go in there and we need to say, okay, we're willing to play on a base rate of $11 million a year, $12 million a year, $13 million a year. But we want deals that are going to give us upside to this, 16 You know, you inflate this for the cap, it's probably something like $18 million a year. Um, so we want a deal that can give us you know, some type of incentives to where we're going to get to 18. What are those incentives going to be? Those can be statistical. You know, if you look at a player like a, um, you know, like a Derrick Henry, for example. Whoops. 
So if we look at a player like a Derrick Henry, um, you know, and we look at his stats, you know, when he signed, he came off a 1,500-yard season. Now, that, that's a ridiculous number to have to get. But, you know, you, you, can, you can go with something that is, okay, the, these are the different numbers um, that we can reach. You know, whether it's 1,500 again, you know, split the difference between the two best years, call it 1,250. You know, there's numbers that you can come up with based on a player's history to say, okay, we're going to play for this, but if we get these high-end numbers, you should be paying us more. And, you know, it's the same concept that Geno Smith just got with Seattle, right? Geno Smith didn't get this crazy contract in Seattle, but Geno Smith got this incentive package with Seattle that basically says, okay, we're not going to pay you like a top-tier quarterback. But if next year you actually go out there and you do what you did last season, we'll give you extra money to make you get paid like a top-tier quarterback. So, you know, the running backs as a whole you know, probably need to do something like that. And, you know, that, that, that's, that's the agent. That's the agent, you know, I, I guess would be controlling a negotiation, controlling a narrative, setting some type of parameters or whatever right at the start of this that basically say, okay, I know where you're coming in. I'm not even going to disagree with it. I know it's a losing battle, but there has to be a way to get something more if we happen to be one of these few guys that's still productive, you know, if we are this 25% for one of those guys that happens to get the big year in year five, if we're one of the 20% of the players that gets a productive year in year six, you should be willing to pay us because the, the reason you're not paying us is because you're petrified of this. You're petrified of all the guys that are below this line. And that's factored into your number. The number that you're offering us is based on this, that this is the likely outcome. So we want to be paid if our production is still this. And I think this is the uh, rushing yard one, right? Yeah. We want to be paid if this is still our production. So, you know, I, I think that is, that's kind of how it's got to be approached. And that's really what you have to go over um, with everybody, if you're an agent or whatever, that's what you, you have to be discussing. Not, you know, not just, well, let's make a separate player pool for the running backs. Let's have the running backs get their own union. I mean, come on, who in the world says that, you know, that we, we need a, a, a running back union. Well, are you going to have a linebacker union, a center union? You're going to have a quarterback union. You're going to have 15 subunions within the, you know, you're going to have a, a backup quarterback. You, I mean, come on. Like, I, 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 don't, I just don't know where some of those things come from. Um, but, yeah. So, um, I, I think that covers kind of the running back stuff. So, let me get to questions here. I'm going to, let me see if I can pause this and kind of switch this over. Let me see if I can do that. All right, uh, I don't know how this one is going to work out. So I'm going to do the, uh, the Q&A kind of portion here. Um, 
I'll see if I can splice this together or whatever. I'm uh, that one's empty. I'm uh, turning off. That one's empty. <laughs> All right, I thought I had a little bit left, but we've got a new one here. Um, yeah, I'm going to turn off the, the screen on this if I did that right. Um, if I didn't do it right, then, you know, we'll, we'll change this up a little bit. Um, then this will be a podcast only, um, section of this. I, I figured people didn't want their emails being seen and maybe some people didn't want their, uh, um, you know, Twitter feeds or Twitter handles or whatever. So, yeah, I don't know if that's the case or not, but I just figured I would do it this way. Um... So let me look at emails first and see what questions I had. So I got some, somebody who loves to send me transactions. It's always very helpful, um, you know, because I miss stuff all the time. So get to keep up with it. All right. So let's see here from Max. Jason, huge fan of the show. I'm wondering why you think NFL teams have nearly universally agreed um, with the analytics community on running back value, whereas something like fourth down decision-making or pass run rates, they seem to still be leaving a lot of meat on the bone. So, a couple of things. Um, I think one of the reasons why this comes up a little bit more is it's not completely a football discussion that we're talking about here. A lot of this is a contract discussion. Um, you know, the the original devaluation of the running back probably comes from the salary cap nerd community, uh, many of whom work for the NFL. <laughs> So, you know, it, it's like it, it was a very easy one, I think, for people to kind of come to grips with because, you know, you, you're talking about a um, a system that is just, just kind of a little bit different, um, you know, than, than some of the other stuff. So I, I think that's one of the reasons why it joined with the analytics community is you don't get the same kind of negativity towards, well, it's got to be a football person giving me that answer. Because, yeah, the salary cap guys are football people, don't get me wrong, but it, it's a different kind of football person um, that's there. So I, I think you're more open to stuff. Um, now, I, I can't say as much from a team level um, with different things, but I can tell you from a salary cap level, guys that do the cap stuff are very open to listening to outside ideas. They're very open to hearing from jokers like me or um, reading discussions on contracts. And, you know, sometimes I, I won't even know how somebody gets a phone number of mine. And, you know, I'll, I'll get a random text from someone. Um, you know, the email, email you get, you know, often. But, uh, you know, you get that random text like, hey, really liked what you did there. It's like, hey, who is this? You know, it's like... Um, you know, so I, I think that's one of the reasons why. The other thing was what I kind of mentioned before with those charts. It's when you're somebody that carries the ball a lot, it's a blessing and, a, and it's a curse. Um, you know, when you're an interior defensive lineman, for example, and you're not being productive, uh, it's often hidden. You know, there, there's reasons why. If you're a wide receiver that's not being productive, it's like, well, the quarterback's not getting me the football. You know, the, the, there's some other deficiency that exists. When you're the running back, you either can run or you don't run. You're either on the field or you're not on the field. So it becomes very apparent to ownership. It becomes very apparent to a general manager that you've just got someone that's a drag on your salary cap, a drag on your budget. And you kind of say, well, 
let's not make that mistake again. So I think that's that's really a reason why. And the, the other thing is this. Um, a lot of teams, you know, you fall back on how you valued a player when he came out of the draft. And, you know, you always have this belief in, you know, optimism. You're, you're always optimistic about the chances of these players, even if they didn't play well in their last destination. And you can come up with examples of players who switch teams and have done well. You can come up with examples at a lot of positions. Like, I, I've been a little bit negative on wide receivers as a long-term position. You know, I've been negative on cornerbacks as a long-term investment position. Um, but you can find exceptions, right? We've got Devontae Adams. You've got Tyreek Hill that's still playing at a pretty high level. You know, you've got exceptions to the rule, um, you know, everywhere. But at running back, you don't. There is no exception to the rule. So it's hard to be optimistic when you can't even find that exception. So I think those are kind of the reasons why. Uh, Kevin. Love the podcast. Appreciate the work. Question, if you can get to it. Do you think the quarterback contracts will eventually become so burdensome that they restrict teams' ability to be competitive inside the top 5-10 deals, um, make teams of the mid-tier quarterbacks more competitive? Do you expect QB contracts to rise mostly proportionate to increase in total cap uh, or stay mostly flat? Um, they're going to keep going up, and... I think the issue is that there is no such thing as a mid-tier quarterback. So until we really have a legitimate set of mid-tier quarterback contracts, it's really hard to look at those players and say, you know, they're going to give you a competitive advantage. Like even if we look at a player right now like Kirk uh, Cousins and we say he's a mid-tier quarterback and, you know, he's playing at $35 million a year or whatever it is, it's a mid-tier contract. He's not really on a mid-tier contract anymore. Because what they had to do with him, you know, to make the numbers work out, is you lose that mid-tier contract status because you had to keep kicking the can on him, you know, to, to push those numbers up. So even though his cap number this year is 20.25, when his deal voids next year, it's 28.5 million dead. So from a realistic standpoint for this year, Kirk Cousins is a $50 million quarterback. So when you're doing your planning, even though we can say, well, you know, it's $28 million next year and there's a discount rate to that, whatever, you're still planning on $50 million for him for a year. So it's hard to have the mid-tier quarterback when that's kind of what we do with the numbers where we're just constantly pushing, 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 pushing into the future and you lose that status as a, a mid-tier contract, a mid-tier quarterback. So until that, that market exists, I just don't think there, there's going to be a difference there. I think right now you basically have your expensive quarterbacks who are worth it um, you know, and that, that, those players are, you know, Mahomes, those players are Josh Allen, um, obviously Aaron Rodgers, right? You know, we're on the road to 20 and 0 this year. <laughs> you know, it, it's, uh, you know, th th there's a handful of players, um, 
you know, that we're looking at, you know, let's see, it's looking at the market, you know, I, I'd say it's Mahomes, I'd say it's Allen. That's really it. I mean, it, it's basically, if you don't have those two guys, your next level up are rookies. You know, it's the, the rookie contracts. And, you know, that that's, in my opinion, that's just the way it is. And that's the way it's going to work. It's just going to be, are you a worthwhile player? Um, you know, or not. Okay, let's see what we got here. Tom. Uh, if a future's year salary or roster bonus is guaranteed and the player is traded before the effective year, does it become dead cap for the old team? Uh, or does the new team take on the obligation? So, new team takes on the obligation. Uh, it gives an example here. 2024 salary and roster bonus guaranteed at the start of the 2023 league year. Player is traded during the 2023 season. Who plays the guaranteed 2024 salary and roster bonus? That would all go to the new team. So, everything is based on a date in a contract. So, if everything kicks in on the fifth day of the league year and you trade a player on the third day of the league year, everything is responsibility to the new team. Um, if you trade a player in that same scenario on the seventh day of the league year, it's all the responsibility of the old team. Uh, the, the roster bonus would be, not the not the salary portion. That's uh, regular season stuff. Um, let's see. Do I have anything else? Total earnings. Um, let me see what this is. Okay, this is about doing a chart. Shows career earnings for every player still in the league. So we have that. Uh, could be broken down in positions, APY, incentives. I think we have all that stuff. Um, I'd have to look to see a little bit. I'll, I'll take a look at that a little bit more um, and see what um, what I can do with that. But, uh, yeah, I think I could, I, I think we already have that on the site. If you look under the, uh, let's see, I always forget junk we have on the site all the time. Uh, if you look at the history tab and go to career earnings, um, you know, that defaults to top earners, but you can look by position, um, maybe by team we could do or something like that. Uh, I'll take a look. I'll see. All right, uh, I think that's it for email. I am going to take a look at threads. So let's see here. A couple people liked saying. Uh, let's see, Mike, what are your general thoughts about Zach Martin pushing for a new contract? Do you think he'll get one? So the first thing I would say is don't sign long-term deals. That That's... That's like the worst thing you can do. So if you go back and, you know, you, you look at Zach Martin, um, Dallas is very good at this. Dallas does not get enough credit for some of the stuff that they do um, with their contracts. Uh, they get picked on because they get pushed into doing deals for Ezekiel Elliott and um, you know, linebacker a couple years ago. Uh, but they do some really smart stuff. So if you look at Zach Martin, he signed a six-year deal back in 2018, all right, that made him the highest paid player, I believe, at the position at $14 million a year. But at a six-year length, I mean, that's crazy. You look at the other guards in the league right now, 
So I'm going to rattle off some numbers here. Uh, Nelson, four years. Jenkins, four years. Batonio, three years. Uh, Tooney, five years. Tomlinson, three. Powers, four. Uh, Whitehair, five. I think that is. Um, let me go over to right guard. Lindstrom signed for five. Sheriff signed for three. Four for Teller. Three for Mason. Davis, four. James Daniels, three. Now I'm getting too low in the salaries go. But you notice something. Nobody is at six. So what are you doing signing for six years? It just doesn't make sense. You know, if there was some massive guarantee that kicked in because you did the extra years, like I can look at the Lindstrom deal and say, okay, he gave up five years, which is a lot more than a lot of these other guys gave up. But he did get $62.7 million guaranteed, which is the most guarantees, um, you know, in the market. You know, Nelson was tops at 60. Now, Nelson's a shorter-term deal. But again, we're talking give and take. If he takes a four-year deal, that $62 million in guarantees, you know, might drop to $45 million or $55 million or something like that. So, you know, you are getting a little bit more protection in part because you're willing to take that extra year. Um, and, you know, Zach Martin had a, a very good guarantee. He still has a pretty terrific guarantee, even though this is a um, older deal. He had $40 million guaranteed at signing. I don't have the new guarantee in front of me. I'm not looking it up at the moment. Um, you know, so that was certainly something that he got. But that's the big negative. Don't sign long-term contracts. Like, why Why do that? You just screw yourself over. Um I don't think Dallas will do a new deal with him. I don't think they should. I don't think they will. Um, you know, but, you know, it is what it is. But it's the fault of back in 2018 saying six years sounds good. You got to, and again, this this is on the agents and this is on the agents talking to the players and kind of, you know, giving the lay of the land, you know, just saying that a six-year deal is no good. You know, in, unless he really did get something spectacular for adding in that extra one or two years on the deal, um, you know, it's just not a it's not a good thing to do, and you know that that's where you get stuck in situations like he's in now. So, you know, you, you never say never with getting a deal done, um, but just my opinion on it is I don't think that they will um, look to do another deal here. All right, uh, let me see if I have any more in threads. Let's see, threads, threads, threads. I think that's it. A couple of re-threads on it, or likes. So. Threads it is. <laughs> All right, let's go to Twitter. We get uh, more interaction there. All right, let's see. All right, let me scroll down to the bottom here. Don Denial Denial. I have a question. <laughs> what are you drinking, Dogfish Head? It's battery acid. No, you are bad, 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 bad. Uh, Brian, uh, can you give your 2023 playoff predictions here if you have not already? Um, I still think it's kind of early to do them, but I mean... 
obviously the Jets are going to the Super Bowl. Uh, that that's our team that's going. Um, you know, I'd like to see a little bit of the rookies. I mean, if I had a guess, just looking right now, uh, the teams that I would peg as playoff teams would be. Buffalo and the Jets, Cincinnati, Kansas City, the Chargers, I guess the Jaguars, um, probably missing a team there, right? I'm not sure who the other team would be, who would that third wild card would be. Uh, probably Baltimore or Pittsburgh, you know, something like that. Um, you know, I, I just don't see, you know, now Peyton did a great job in New Orleans at the end. Um, well, he did a great job all the time. But great job, like 500. I, I kind of feel the same thing is going to happen in Denver. Um, you know, Cleveland, it's like, if I knew Deshaun Watson was going to be what he was like in Houston, you know, I, I'd put Cleveland in there as a playoff team. I, I don't know if that's what he's going to be. Um, he hasn't really played in a while and, um, you know, wasn't that good, uh, last year. So, you know, uh, you, you look at the NFC, I mean, this, this is way more wide open, um, so, out of the NFC East, I do think Philadelphia and Dallas are still two teams that will make the playoffs next year. Um, you go to the NFC North. Man, you know, I feel like it's going to be four teams that are all like nine and eight win teams. Um, I don't know who it, who it's going to be from there. Um I don't know what Jordan Love will be. I don't think Justin Fields... I think Justin Fields is going to be really exciting. But I don't know if that's a team that's going to win more than seven or eight games. I don't know if Detroit is going to be able to duplicate what they did last year. Minnesota certainly won't, but they still may win the division. Um, you look at the NFC South. You know What is Carolina going to get out of their young players? Um, you know, Saints, Falcons, Buccaneers are going to be terrible. Uh, I think if I had to pick one of those teams right now, I would take Atlanta. I might also take New Orleans. I, I'm not sure which of those two. Um, you know, this is without seeing the rookies. They had San Francisco and Seattle make it last year. Rams, Cardinals. So the Rams still have the talent to make it if Stafford can be decent. Um... You know, so maybe they'll surprise some teams. Uh, I didn't know why people were making a big deal out of Stafford supposedly uh, getting dumped from the team this year. Um, I, I didn't really get that whole thing. They could have done it if they wanted to. It uh, wouldn't have been good, but, you know, they, they've done a couple of bad deals there, and they, they do not chase sunk costs at all um, with that franchise. Dreadful. Russell Wilson is cuttable in 2024 with a post-June 1 cut. How does Denver get under the cap after that cut? 
Peyton already ran away from a team uh, tank their cap. Does he pull another retirement if Russ is unsalvageable? No, no. I think Peyton probably went into this thinking that Russell Wilson's not salvageable. Um, I think he looks at this as a good football team and he can work around Russell Wilson's um, deficiencies in age. So um, let me look up his contract. I had done an article. Someone else asked me about this too, I think. And I didn't email them back yet. Um, I wrote an article on this last November, December, when it was very clear, like, he's a disaster. Um, I think what you have with him is a scenario where he'll probably get benched late in the year if he's not productive. Because you have lots and lots and lots of future guarantees that can kick in. Um you know, the dead money there is ridiculous. So, yeah, you would June 1 him. Um, so, if you cut him June 1, you'd have 35 for next year. My God, what a terrible contract right now this is. You know, 49-6 the following year, if I'm following it right. So that's what they would do, but no, I, I think, I think he is under the assumption that um, Wilson is probably not salvageable. So I, I think uh, he's getting paid enough to know that this is, you know, job that he's going to see through. Michael Becker, is there something about the way the Chiefs have operated the last few years that make these deals with Tyree Kill, Chris Jones level players difficult for him, or are they just spoiled by the Mahomes and Kelsey deals? Um, no, I don't think there's anything that makes them difficult. I think with Tyreek Hill, it was an example of two things. I think it was he was just going to blow up their budget to a point where you, you have to make decisions, right? And maybe that decision, now, it might not be this, but maybe in the back of your mind, you're like, okay, if we do Tyreek Hill, we definitely can't do Chris Jones. Um you know, and you, you look again at some of the age curves and everything else, and you look at where his contract was relative to market, you might say, you know, we just can't do those kind of numbers that you're talking. Um, you know, Chris Jones, we don't know what level that's going to be at. I believe he didn't report to training camp um, or is not going to report. Uh, I'm sure he's looking for a deal that pays him $30 million a year. I don't think he's going to peg himself to the market as it exists. His deal the last time around was pegged to Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald was at 22.5 or 21.5. Chris Jones got 20. So if Aaron Donald right now is at 31.5, Chris Jones should be looking for 30. I don't think he's looking for 24. I don't think he's looking for 25. I think he's looking for 30. Kansas City doesn't spend a lot. Um, you know, they they are pretty smart with the way they, they do their stuff. Um, so... You know, I guess if you want to say making it difficult, um, that would probably be why it's the case if you have some guys that are kind of really pushing for the upper end of the salary scale versus the, you know, lower end, which is really what Mahomes and Kelsey did. Um, you know, may maybe that creates more problems with Kansas City than it would with, say, Philadelphia. Uh, but I, I think that they're just kind of... Um, pretty well thought out in, in the way that they, they approach this stuff and, you know, the way that they, they kind of um, tackle the aspect of team building.
Um, Ricker, overall thoughts on the Giants offseason. Um, how do you think this positions the team both the long and the short term? So it's Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence, all, all these deals. Uh, I was not enamored with the Giants offseason. Um, I thought the Giants should be looking more at rebuilding and just say, okay, last year was a fluke. Um, I don't get $40 million a year for Jones. Uh, the Lawrence deal is terrific, linebacker, eh, whatever. Um, the Giants are a team that should have tagged Daniel Jones and let Barkley walk. Let him test the market. My guess, he would have come back to New York $11 million, $12 million a year with a smile on his face. Um, instead of what they did. And I I, I don't think that, I, I think with the Jones deal, I just don't look at that as a, a long-term good thing. Um, Jones simply is not, he's not that player. Um, not that player. So, I don't know. Black Gold, with uh, JJ changing his position to linebacker, does he get linebacker pay in the 50-year option franchise tag? Nope. Uh, everything is based on when you get tagged as to uh, what your value is going to be. Butchie, generally agree with drafting what you can't sign in free agency. However, since most running backs see huge fall-off by the time they have free agency, doesn't this make the argument that drafting a running back in the second or third round is a good idea as long as you aren't paying the second contract? So yes and no. So you know where I mentioned earlier about the cornerbacks and how it's kind of an oddball position that it's from a salary perspective a premier position, but highly available in free agency. Running backs are kind of the reverse of that. Running backs are not a premium position from a salary standpoint, but they're also not available in free agency. Why are they not available in free agency? They're not signed. So the, the players are actually there. They just The market doesn't exist for them. Um, so you can make an argument, uh, I think, for what you're saying there, that, um, you know, that, that you can, you're better off with the younger player. I think the issue is that you don't want to draft a running back round one, round two, and probably round three. Um, I think those three rounds you still have too much upside in other positions that are more important that I think that you want to go out of your way to draft versus, um, you know, drafting the running back. And I think when you look at the productivity, and I, I don't have this in front of me, so I, I could be mistaken, but I think when you look at a lot of the productivity at the running back position, um, you do see players that were drafted late or undrafted come out there and be very good players for you. So I, I almost think that it's a position where you're probably better off maybe spending a little extra in those guarantees in the UDFA range um, or those late round picks. And, you know, maybe taking your shots there, rolling the dice, seeing when you find somebody. And then when you find someone, say, okay, we can count on this guy probably for the next three to four years. Um, you know, and then we don't really have to approach, you know, that position again, um, too much. I think that that's probably the way to do it, but I, I don't think I'd look second. I certainly wouldn't look second round. Um, I don't think I'd look third round either. I think I'd look fourth and later, and I would really focus on later. And I, I think I'd look at volume. I, I think that's, um, that's more the thing to look at is, 
volume of players, try out a lot of guys and see who works out. Uh, Thomas, let's see. No questions for tonight, but enjoying a local Danish IPA. Uh, you have to tell me what that is. It's good. Tom, uh, what do you think of the Patriots, uh, Patriots extensions for Parker and Bentley? So, Parker, I don't even know why they bothered doing anything with him, but that deal was nothing. Nothing, 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 nothing like it was reported. Um, that was one of the, the funnier ones that I could think of. That was basically reported as a deal that was like, um, oh gosh, you know, fifteen million a year or something like that. Um, let me let me look it up. Hold on. It, it was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. Um, yeah, it was reported as a deal that was going to average like fourteen or thirteen million dollars a year. Um, the reality of it is, it, it's a two-year deal worth about five point seven million dollars a year. Um, you know what? It, it, it lowered everything. Uh, I think it's fine. Um, you know, doing that kind of stuff. Uh, Bentley's deal. I mean, that, that's okay too. I don't know if they really needed to do that one. I mean, they, they didn't need to do this one either, but, uh, you know, the Bentley one is fine as well. He's, um, you know, what is it? Six, seven on the, the new deal. Um, you know, he was really good for them last year. So I, I think they just wanted to get this out of the way and, you know, it, it's fine to do. It, it's basically guaranteeing two years salary. It's nothing, you know, nothing crazy, um, you know, in terms of where the market's at or whatever else. So, you know, it, it's all right. Um, did they have to do it? Probably not, but he, uh, you know, he's kind of outperformed that level. Shoes, what do you think Kansas City could get for Jones, and how much would the acquiring team have to pay? So um, I'm pretty positive we're looking at $30 million a year. And, you know, if, if you're talking about a $30 million a year player, you're talking about, a, at minimum, a uh, first-round draft pick. Now, the, the only reason you wouldn't get that first-round pick is if it's a scenario like Tyreek Hill where – you make it known pretty much by letting the player um, go out and try to get a trade that you don't have a future with this guy. And, you know, in Tyreek Hill's case, they didn't get first-round pick right for him. It was uh, second-rounders um, that they got. So, you know, you, you might be looking at a package that's similar to the Tyreek Hill package if they've given up that that kind of leverage um you know, to, to get to that, that point. But, you know, you'd be looking at a $30 million a year deal. Uh, Dave, I've heard both you and Brad touch on the different cap credits a team can get if a player is traded. I think the Eagles use this tool. Can you explain how the cap credits work and why they're used? I think Derek Barnett might have something in his uh, contract. I have to look at his. Um, so the Eagles do use that. Um, they do some stuff with options. They do some things with salary advances. One of these days, I swear I'm doing a video on the Eagles to, uh, you know, go over some of the stuff that they do that's really creative um, with the cap. But the, the way the cap credits work are basically like you kind of get charged for certain things. Um, for example, an option, right? You have an option bonus in a contract. Let's say option is $5 million. 
prorated over five years, a million dollars a year, you trade the player. You actually traded that player before the option was due. So the option becomes the obligation and responsibility of the new team. You end up holding that charge for a million dollars. Um, just That's just the way that it works. Uh, but you will get a credit the following year because you didn't actually pay him the option. And so you didn't have to take on that proration. So that that's really why that is. And so where, where the Eagles are smart with that stuff is you, you put these things into where, yeah, if you traded a guy, you might have to account for that prorated money this year. But, you know, you, you can do a lot of things with that contract to, um, you know, kind of make it better. So, you know, you, you're just kind of pushing that money off. Uh, Barnett... Um, let me look to see if he has that kind of structure. I feel like they do it more with one-year deals and they do it with guys like Hertz and stuff. But um, Okay, so what Barnett has is not a uh, credit for the future. And I probably should change his number. So he has a, a June 1 void. Uh, what I mean by that is he has a contract that will void... But it allows them to split the cap charges into 2024 and 2025. Um, I'm probably shortchanging his cap number 197. Um, that's what it'll be on June 2nd. I got, I got to put his dummy salary in there, which is probably a million bucks um, with him. But so, no, his, his deal's a little different. His deal is set up to utilize a June 1 termination even though he basically has a contract that's set to void next year. Um, so a little bit different. Mark, podcast question. Are compensatory picks still a good idea? Seems like it hurts players and only a few teams seem to benefit. Seems like adding around eight to the draft would be more fair. No, let, no, no, no more draft. No more draft. Um, I like the compensatory picks. I, I think that it's a, it's a good thing... Um, you know, for teams, because if you do lose players, you should get a benefit for it. Um, but I do think that it's grown to hurt players. So um, I'm not blaming Nick for this, but Nick did such a good job with that stuff that, um, you know, I, I think that, that that became much more of a tool for the teams to the point where what had even been kind of a secretive formula, at least from what I understood from the NFL, became a a very public formula um, from the from the league. Even before that, like some of the stuff that I saw on a league wide basis was still a little bit more in generalities. Like they 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 did discuss um, ways to do the calculations and everything else, but I think it was still a little bit more generalized. Uh, it was really in this last CBA where they really, you know, really, really spelled everything out. But it, it's like the stuff that Nick built here, it's real time. So you can you can plug the things in in real time and you can come up with, you know, what is this going to cost me? And I know teams that have actually used this, um, you know, what we have to where they almost get worried. Like, oh, did we screw up? You know, by signing someone. Um, that shouldn't be the intent. You know, the, the compensatory process should 
this should not be the intent, I think, of any team um, when it comes to signing a player in free agency. So I, I think that's something that needs to get tweaked a little bit. And they did try some stuff, right? We have exclusions for certain players at a certain APY. Um, you know, so they have done some stuff. But I, I do think there should be something a little bit more um, more to that. But I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I, I don't want an end of the round to where you know every player that you lose just becomes an eighth round pick, um, because the players are more valuable than that. So I don't know. They, they, but something does have to be done with that. Shoes. Two questions. How does a non-football injury work with the cap? Um, so, you know, once a player is placed on NFI, they don't have to get paid. Um, basically the, the team and the players will come to some kind of side agreement as to what the salary levels should be. Um, if a player has a split salary, it'll automatically split, but they can negotiate down even further. Um, now, in Goodwin's case, I think they found blood clots. So, at least I think that's what I saw on the, on the feed today. So, in that kind of situation, I bet the Browns would pay him um, a full salary or a split salary. Because it, it, that's not an NFI like, um, I got into a car accident and I got hurt. You know, I was reckless driving and I got hurt. It's just a, it's a legitimate health concern. So, usually teams are pretty good with that. Um, what would happen with Prime Barry Sanders? What would he get paid? Um, probably, in today's market, $13, 14000000 million a year. Um, I think that's what it would be. You know, I, I don't even know how Sanders would look he would have these crazy runs from time to time. I don't even know if he'd get as many opportunities to have those crazy runs. Flip, you talked about Alex Highsmith getting uh, upwards of 23 per year. Why do you think he took so little? I have no idea. You know, I all I can think about is the um, the draft status thing. You know, there there is nothing in that in in there that that should say he should be under 20. Um. Maybe he's just happy being in Pittsburgh, you know. Um, Omar has clearly transitioned the Steelers out of the Stone Age in regard to guaranteed years. When will Cincinnati and Green Bay follow? Um, I think it's still a ways away. The Steelers still aren't there yet. I mean, this is just injury protection in this one. Um, you know, the basic stuff is still the same. And, you know, for that injury protection, he did not get that roster bonus that gets him his release in March. Um, I would actually consider this a weaker deal than what would be a typical Steelers contract, but that's just me. Um, Cincinnati, you know, you, you got to see with Joe Burrow. Uh, Green Bay, I don't think they're following anytime soon. Connor, Evan Ingram had a $7.5 million option bonus put into his new deal. Where do you put the option bonuses in your player charts, and what is the purpose of such a number for Ingram? More or less likely that the Jags would go for the third round. Um, for that third unguaranteed year. So that gets it, it with the exception of some weird ones where the option's not guaranteed. Um, that number is going to be in the prorated column. So if I look up Evan Ingram, 
Let me just look him up. So Ingram. So what you see is uh, there's 2.5 million prorated, excuse me, in 2023. Um, that's from the signing bonus that he received, uh, which is 12.5 million. And that number jumps to 4 million in 2024. And that's because that's also including the proration of the option bonus, which is guaranteed to him. So, you know, that, that gets included in there. Um, no, that third year, there's no guarantee that they're going to do that third year. That's a, that's a wait and see. Um, you know, the, the option bonus that they're putting in there, he, here's what I would say. If you look at the structure on the Ingram deal, so his cap numbers are five million, seven million, nineteen seven five, and then nine five if the deal voids. That nineteen seven five is just kind of like a, an alarm, right? So what that tells me is the way that they're looking at this is they're they're probably looking at this contract as a two year deal. If he continues to play really well, they'll look at extending him in year three. Um, salary might remain unchanged, but, you know, they'll look at doing an extension and moving those numbers around a little bit. Otherwise, he's probably a cut candidate. Cost to cut at that point would be 13.5. So I, I just think that's probably how they have that deal structured. Dreadful. Uh, if you're traded before your team has a bye week to a team that already had a bye week, how does that 18th game check work? If you have performance incentives, are those affected? Um, so 18th game is still the same. So you get paid by the week and you happen to play 18 games. You know, it's just unlucky for you. Uh, it does give you more opportunity to get those incentives that you mentioned. Um, so there's that. It can also work against you the same way. Um, you know, if a team hasn't had a bye week yet and you had your bye week, you are only playing 16 games, which is great. You know, you're getting paid for 17, you're only playing 16, but you might not hit all your, um, incentives that you have in the contract. Chris, there's no easy solution. In fact, running backs aren't valued, but should veteran backs be looking at more incentive laden deals, but with the bar set low to get at least something, uh, such as 20% of the snaps paid, get something and it cranks up each five or 10. So, you know, that that's along the lines of what I was talking about before. Um, I don't think you can use such a low threshold. I think that number is too low. Um, you know, it you're, you're, you're already talking about a, a contract that's decent, right? Like, well, while we're talking about these deals, it's like, well, you know, it's not that good. 10 million bucks, a lot of money. You know, it's not like it's a little bit of money, um, you know, even relative to the market. You know, 20% of the snaps, it's like, yeah, you expect to get 20% of the snaps. You know, maybe you don't expect 80%. You know, th those are the kind of numbers that you would be looking at. Mason, can you explain active pup, reserve pup, reserve injured, reserve did not report, and like again for us and how it all works? Um, really not much to explain. So... Uh, player that goes on the physically unable to perform list, but is the active list, basically means they showed up to training camp and they have some type of injury related to football that hasn't healed fully yet, so they can't pass a physical, so they go on the physically unable to perform list, 
but it's considered the active part of the list because they can be activated at any time, basically once they pass a physical. Reserve pup is different. That is when the team is basically already determined that you're not able to play. Um, so if you're put on that now, unless they, they, they've modified some of the rules, but I think if you're still, if you're put on that now, that means your season is done. Um, reserve injured, um, same kind of concept. You know, you, your season, I think, is done if you're put on IR at this point in time. Uh, that's a player who got a new injury. So that would be like, um, you know, you went to your first practice and you blew your knee out. Um, you'd go on IR. You wouldn't go on PUP because PUP meant you weren't able, you weren't physically able to even participate. Uh, reserve injured means you were able to participate and then you got hurt. Reserve did not report. Those cap numbers zero, go to zero. Um, those are players that just didn't show up. Another question from Mason. How will the trending drop in running back pay impact comp picks for running backs um, that would be comp pick eligible? Essentially, with dropping values on contracts? Um, no, it really doesn't. The, the thing is, while people are making a big deal out of this right now, they're making a big deal out of this because Saquon Barkley was picked number two overall. If Saquon Barkley was picked number 92 overall or 102, nobody would care. Um, you haven't been getting compensatory picks for running backs for ages. So that part hasn't changed. The the running back numbers have been falling for quite some time. Um, so even though we had that little bit of a spike, if you look at free agency, there is no free agency for running backs. Le'Veon Bell is the only guy. That's it. Um, there's no free agency. All right, that takes care of most of those. Let's see if we got anything from a late ask, and then that should do it. Let's see here. Fifth Chamber, when are we going to find out about the numbers on the Rodgers restructure? When he actually restructures. Rodgers and the Jets have not come to an agreement on a new contract. So at the moment, um, you know, Rodgers is going to earn a million bucks for this year and like $100 million next year. Who wins the NFC South? So talked about that before. Uh, I would guess Atlanta, um, but who knows? JP, what's the holdup with CJ Mosley's rework deal? He's not worth his current seventeen, but on recent uh, based on recent comps, but his loss would weaken a Jets defense. You think he's refusing to take a pay cut and daring JD to cut him? Possibly. Um, you know who knows. Who knows where their head is at with this stuff? Um, I've said all along that the, the Jets slow play too many of these things. Um, yeah, there's just no reason for it sometimes. So this is probably one of those. You know, this is one of those deals that should have been done months ago where you say, okay, look, here's the deal. Um, you know, your, your salary this year is 17. We're not going to pay that. We will guarantee you something like 20 or 22 million, and we'll guarantee you a roster spot, you know, this year, next year. Like that'll be your salary over two years. You know, we're willing to do a deal with you that's 10 million a year, 11 million dollars a year. Um, you know, the Jets just play these things out, and I, I don't really understand it. Uh, but you know, I, I don't understand um, when you're this late in it. 
you know, and, and I guess it's a game of chicken. If I'm Mosley, I would just say, you know what, if you're, you're not going to do it, then just, you know, cut me. Um, I, I would I would go with the dared, you know, Douglas to cut him bit and see what happens. Larry, Douglas's options for restructuring Rodgers. They got to come to an agreement on a contract. You know, I, I don't know... Um, I just don't know what what the deal is there. You know, I I don't get how they they made this trade without these types of parameters in place. Um, you know, for what they want to do, I think that's a bad job by the Jets. Bob, what's a Chris Jones contract that works for both sides look like? Uh, I would guess $30 million a year, just flat salary of $30 million bucks each year. Um, you know, now that would mean $30 million in new money over two years. Uh, let me see what Chris Jones is earning this year. Um, let's see. Chris Jones. Take a look here. So Chris Jones's salary this year is twenty. Um, so it would probably be something like a salary of twenty-five million this year instead of twenty. Um, that'd be five million new, which would mean next year he'd have a flat salary of twenty-five. That'd get him to thirty, and then you would just have straight thirty million dollar salaries each year. Um, you know, they, they, they could do some minor differences on that, but I, I think that's that's what you'd be looking at as uh, making a deal that works. Gary, in the simplest terms, what is the most likely cap hit of the Rodgers contract for the next couple of years? How does this retiring impact it, and what's your best estimate on what a restructure will do? Um, so my assumption is it's going to look very similar to, to what he had in um, Green Bay which means he'll end up on a cap number this year of, you know, 15 to 20 million, cap number next year of like 35, and they'll come up with a way to structure that contract to where the, you know, the balance of it, you know, that other um, $50 million all hits the cap somehow in 2025 if he happens to retire. Uh, Ryan, are the Jets allowed to use either the 2024 first or second round picks in any trade since those are conditional picks? No, I don't believe they are. I think the NFL would say no on any of those trades. Um, let's see. Near. We've obviously talked about how rookie contract lengths will be a focal point in the new CBA. Uh, would two or three year contracts be more ideal? Would the NFL ever implement a player option within contracts like the NBA? I think a two plus one or a three plus one. Um, they might think of something like that. I don't think they're going to be a focal point. Um, I don't think, I, I think, you know, two plus one should be the, the max that the union would go to, but I, I just don't know if that's going to be a, uh, a focal point. Cowboys nation, Barbie or, uh, Oppenheimer, um, I'm probably not going to see um, either of those. Uh, my daughter would like to see Barbie. I have no idea why. She played with Barbie dolls, wasn't interested in that. But she said all the TikTokers are um, 
are going to that. Um, so, I don't know. But, uh, no, I, I don't think I'm... Uh, I don't think I'm going to see either of those two. Um, I don't know if there's really any movies coming out that I'm uh, very interested in this summer. I'd have to look. Um, but if I had to choose either of those two, not Barbie would be the um, the answer. So I think that does it for me. So we'll see if... Oh, wait, one last question just came in. Does Mekhi Becton start this year? I think he only starts if somebody is hurt. Um, and he probably only starts until he gets hurt. You know, you, you feel bad. Um, you know, he's lost a lot of weight. He's still a gigantic human being. Um, you know, but you, you just lose sight. I mean, he's still basically a kid. And you look at him with all these braces on, trying to stretch out, still kind of lumbering around. And it's like, man, that that's not... That's not life, you know, to be 20-something years old and be that physically beat up just because of your size and what you're doing as a profession. Like, man, that's not good. Um, but, you know, I, I would think it's a long shot. I don't think this coaching staff likes him. Um, I think since day one, Sal has been pretty negative on him. I think he's thought he's... Uh, out of shape, doesn't have a skill set to fit the way they wanted to run the offense. Now, I'll have a different offense this year, but, um, you know, I, I lean towards a long shot unless somebody gets hurt, um, but we'll, uh, we'll wait and see. So, all right, I think that does it for me here. Who knows if the video portion of this actually shows up or not. If not, I'll figure it out at some point. Um, but otherwise that does it for me. I think, uh, I have one more dogfish head upstairs, but I think we got rid of the, most of the six pack, at least during this. So I think, uh, we'll see what happens next week. If we have anything interesting, I'll come back next week and do another podcast. If not two weeks from now, I'm sure I'll be back in there. So everybody have a great week and I will talk to you all again soon.